Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast about the latest news and research from Birkbeck, University of London. I'm Guy Collander. In this episode, we will explore genetics and the origins of promising trials of a new therapy for melanoma, a deadly skin cancer. There is also information about applying to Birkbeck through clearing this summer and the college's state-of-the-art campus opening in Stratford this autumn. Our interviewee is Professor David Latchman, a distinguished geneticist and master of Birkbeck since 2003. Professor Latchman, could you begin by describing how your fascination with genetics began? Yes, I suppose it began at school, um, where I was interested and sort of fascinated by conundrums in human genetics, sort of the well-known one that two brown-eyed parents can have a blue-eyed child, but two blue-eyed parents can't have a brown-eyed child. Um, And then when I went to Cambridge, that was the subject that I chose to specialise in, and it was obviously one that a lot of work had been done in Cambridge, so I guess that was what sort of promoted my continuing interest. And you studied natural sciences, specialising in genetics as an undergraduate, and then completed your PhD in gene expression at the University of Cambridge. What was it like to study genetics at the university famous for Francis Crick and James Watson's discovery of the structure of DNA, the double helix, only a couple of decades earlier? Well, I suppose it was, it was exciting, but it was also more that what had happened in the next 20 years, from up to the time when I was studying, was how that discovery had been used to unravel lots of other things, like how genes encode proteins, the way that genes are produced and expressed and so on. Various major discoveries about that were made in the years that I was there. So it was all part, I think, of the sort of continuum of excellent research that was going on and that the Crick-Watson thing was a significant part of. And in the 1990s, when you were researching at UCL, you began studying the herpes simplex virus and its possible therapeutic applications. Could you explain the characteristics of the herpes simplex virus and what you discovered? I think anybody who has cold sores knows that, firstly, herpes simplex is the cause of those cold sores, but also that when they go to the chemist and get Zovirax and treat the sores, it treats them very effectively. But the sores come back in response to things like a cold, which is why it's called a cold sore, in response to stress and so on. And that's because the virus, when it's not obvious in the skin, is hiding away in the nerve cells in what we call a latent infection from which it can emerge and cause damage again. And I was very interested in, in terms of regulation of genes, why the virus can grow and cause disease in skin cells, but it can't do that and it hides away in nerve cells. So we spent a lot of time looking at the mechanisms that produce that effect. And so is there a way of removing that virus completely? No. I mean, I think when my inaugural lecture at UCL was called Herpes Simplex, Once Bitten, Forever Smitten. Um, and at the moment, at least, there is no way you can treat the symptoms of a cold sore, but you can't stop the repeated recurrences of the virus. And work in your laboratory at UCL led to a spin-out company in 1999 called BioVex, focusing on treating the advanced stages of cancer. Initial products developed at BioVex had two benefits. They caused cancer cells to burst, and in doing so, released a protein which is also damaging to other cancer cells. 
How significant was this finding? I think it was the combination of things. So we were very interested in using the virus as a means of delivering genes and proteins to cells. So that was the side of delivering a protein which causes damage to cancer cells. But then also we were involved in work that um, showed that a particular form of the virus, a mutant form, was able to grow in cancer cells and not in normal cells. So putting those two things together, you could cause the cancer cells to burst, but you could also deliver to them an extra protein, which then went off and circulated in the body and hopefully destroyed tumour cells that were spread across the body. And then delivering them at such a small dosage that people wouldn't acquire cold sores, the herpes simplex? No, but the virus, the virus, part of this is to disable the virus so that, for example, it won't grow and produce cold sores or other damaging things, but it will still grow and burst open the cancer cells. And in 2011, US pharmaceutical giant Amgen bought Biovex for £1 billion and continued the research started at Biovex. What happened next? Well, I think what, what Amgen were interested in um, was the fact that this product, this means of lysing, bursting cancer cells and causing damage and so on, was had gone through phase one and phase two clinical trials and it was starting the final stage before you can actually use it in patients, um, phase three clinical trials. And so Amgen are continuing and developing that phase three clinical trial with a view to, if it's successful, in melanoma patients, eventually marketing that as a therapy for melanoma. And earlier this year, Amgen announced results from those phase three trials, which show that the drug based on the Biovex vaccine may offer a promising approach for patients in the latter stages of melanoma. What, what's the real significance of this and what happens now in terms of the, the trials? Well, melanoma is, is currently a very incurable disease. The reason being that although the initial tumour is fairly small, it spreads throughout the body. So the idea of the, this product that we developed and Amgen is now using is that you inject an individual tumour, hopefully you kill it, and then you, the, the, you spread and kill the other tumours disseminated in the body. Um, and what the clinical trial is showing is that indeed in a number of patients there are um, shrinkage of the initial tumour and also effects on distant tumours as well. Um, what we await now at the end of this year is the survival data, which will look at whether that results in improved survival in the patients who would normally have a very poor survival in the absence of any effective treatment. And so would the um, vaccine have to be administered at each of the tumour sites, or would it, would it be absorbed through the body and able to attack the other sites where it's already metastasized? Yes. Well, because of the mechanism we discussed earlier, what you can do is to inject one site, the cells in that site hopefully are killed, and that tumour is killed, but they also burst open and release the protein that we talked about. That protein would then circulate um, in the patient and hopefully arrive at the other tumour cells and damage those tumour cells. Certainly there's no question you could not inject all the individual tumours because these patients would typically have a large number of metastases. So Amgen now are on the verge of a breakthrough in the treatment of melanoma and the origins of their work can be traced back to a lab not far from where we are sitting now. 
So as well as a success for Amgen and the US, this is a success for the UK scientific research and the commercialisation of its intellectual property. Yes, I mean, I think on the, on the positive side, it's, uh, for me, it's great satisfaction that something that we developed is in clinical trials and may well be marketed as a medicine for disease, um, or in the sense that that will be something you could not have done without the sort of funding that was provided in this way. I mean, I think there are lessons there that tell you that this method is a very good method of producing new medicines from university research, but maybe government needs to give a bit of attention to how, particularly in the early stages, that can be supported so that the people who originate it and the universities that originate it don't end up being highly diluted in terms of their ownership of the company. And today, as well as your leadership and management responsibilities as Master of Birkbeck, you are continuing to conduct lab research. What are you working on currently? Well, I've always been interested and I'm still interested in what's called gene regulation. In other words, if we all have the same genes, an individual has the same genes in all their cells, why do you produce liver proteins from that in the liver, brain proteins in the brain, and so on? And in fact, the, the work that we did with herpes viruses showed that it was actually a cellular regulatory factor that controls the virus and stops it growing in nerve cells. Now, that cellular regulatory factor is going to be regulating the cell's own genes in nerve cells as well. So I'm interested in the mechanisms by which these cellular factors regulate our own genes to produce a liver, a brain, a kidney, or whatever it may be. And moving from research to teaching, there are an unprecedented number of courses, 39 in total, offered by Birkbeck during clearing this year in August, from accounting to theatre and drama studies. What do you have to say to prospective students thinking about studying for three-year full-time evening degrees at Birkbeck? I think this is a very exciting opportunity, which we've only really offered in the last three years, and it's proved extremely successful because it allows students to effectively study full-time equivalent, to finish in the same time as a full-time student, but to be available for work during the day. So the divide between full-time students who study during the day and part-time students who've studied in the evening has really been broken, and you can now combine work with study in the evening at a full-time level. And finally, what's next for Birkbeck? The well, autumn term and beyond? <laughs> well, I think what's, what's very exciting, I think, there is, is the opening of our new building in Stratford. Um, we started teaching in Stratford about five or six years ago, working with the University of East London in premises that we rented from them, and that was so successful in widening participation, bringing new kinds of students to Birkbeck, that we now have a joint um, building with the University of East London that's been erected at the cost of £35 million, pounds, and which will be opened um, in the autumn, and that, I think, will give a new um, stimulus to our activities there. Professor Latchman, thank you very much for sharing your insights, for looking back at previous research and looking forward at uh, research in the future and also Birkbeck's role in Stratford in the coming months. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this podcast. For more information about Birkbeck's news, events and courses, please visit www.bbk.ac.uk. 